You're listening to the Art of Living Well podcast with Father Ian Van Heusen. So let's go ahead and start. Welcome to all those who are following online. Let's start off with our prayer guides. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask you to enlighten our minds that as we meditate this day and as we spend time in prayer and reflection, help us to know your presence, to grow in self-knowledge, and to internalize the truths of divine revelation and of wisdom and philosophy, that we may ever move according to the promptings of your grace, that we may know your love, and that we may grow in holiness. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. So the, you know, I really, I want to extend this metaphor a lot, and I'm going to be doing a lot of this. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to take shape, but is this metaphor of training and training for holiness. So I, I was a sports guy when I was a kid. How many of you guys played sports? How many of you play sports? How many of you, did any of you do musical instruments or anything like that? Musical instruments? Okay, so it's a similar premise whether it's sports or musical instruments or something like that where the the physical, I think, can help you to understand the spiritual. There's a kind of relationship between the two. So I played soccer a lot growing up. And uh, the the big thing with, with soccer for me was I spent hours and hours practicing. And when you understand sports, you understand musical instruments, you get at a key distinction that St. Thomas Aquinas makes, where he distinguishes between what he calls connatural knowledge and then what he calls knowledge by demonstration. So what does this mean? He talks about, he gives the example of chastity. He says, there's a difference between understanding intellectually what chastity is and having the experience of chastity. So with like baseball, for example, I understand perfectly the mechanics of throwing a good pitch. That doesn't mean I can throw a good pitch, right? I can visualize it. I can understand it. I could possibly even point out somebody else if their mechanics were off. I can do that with soccer as well. But there's a difference between being able to have the intellectual side and having the experiential knowledge. So part of what meditation is about and the spiritual life about is growing in that experience of God's love, but also the work of the Holy Spirit. Spending time listening, spending time reflecting, spending time ruminating. So when I played soccer a lot, I would practice for hours. I would kick the ball against the wall in in racquetball courts. I would just spend hours back and forth trying to get that touch. Because you know it's all about the touch. And what you want to do with a sport is you practice something over and over again, that in the moment, you don't have to think about the skill, right? In the moment, it just kind of comes as a kind of reflex a kind of intuition, if you will. That's what it means to grow in this awareness of discernment and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And and so also right now I'm doing a lot of training um, and I'm working on things. And there's so many different metaphors that overlap between physical exercise and spiritual exercise. This idea of St. Ignatius gets at a lot with the spiritual exercises as well. So I want you to think of it as a two-part breakdown. We have endurance and conditioning, and then there's skill. So endurance and conditioning is your ability to endure suffering, to endure discomfort when it comes to a sport, right? That's a fascinating dynamic. I was just talking about this with kids. I, I give this example a lot with kids, is there's pizza 
and then there's winning a championship, right? So those are both pleasure, and the psychologist would talk about the distinction between these two kinds of pleasure. There's sense pleasure, but then there's deeper pleasure that you get from meaning, from hard work, right? There's something deeply satisfying about busting your hump and winning a championship. It's actually probably one of the greatest feelings in the world. You feel even greater afterwards. Whereas pleasure is more immediate gratification. And of course, you pick up, it's pretty easy. I ask kids, what would you rather have? Would you rather have pizza now, or would you rather have win the championship later? And of course, all of us recognize that the kids are gonna say, I want the championship, right? I'm willing to forego momentary discomfort for the sake of a higher good. This is how to properly understand our Lord when he says, take up your cross and follow me. Also, when St. John of the Cross says, endeavor to be inclined always not to the easiest, but to the most difficult. Not to what means comfort, but discomfort. This isn't like sadomasochism, where we want you to be miserable, but it's the same thing as an athlete. Think of like that Nike commercial, right? I don't know if it's Nike, where it's like, what you do in the darkness shines in the light, which by the way is strangely biblical. It's kind of, uh, in a, in, a, in a kind of way, right? You know, but this idea of, like, we, we all love the idea, it's, it's popular to, to wake up at five in the morning to run a marathon, but yet sometimes we're not willing to wake up at five in the morning to spend an hour in prayer, whatever it might be. So consider that. The, 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 the physical side, embracing discomfort, there's a parallel with the spiritual life, spending hours in meditation. I mean, if, maybe if you're, if you're single, I would say consider an hour, a holy hour a day. If you're married with little kids, actually, I don't think we have anybody here married with little kids, do we? Anybody have little kids? Oh, you got little kids? A little bit older. So, I mean, I would say, like, when the, the kids are first, like, the, the newborns, you're just trying to, like, survive, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you get your prayer when you can. But when they start to get a little bit older, you can spend a half hour, hour in prayer. And then when you get to the point where your kids are older and they're self-sufficient, and they can make breakfast for themselves, you can consider maybe doing that daily holy hour or longer meditation. Because that's where the fruit is really going to come. So, phone keeps, I should probably should print it off next time. All right. So, I would equate this endurance and conditioning and skill with two things. Self-knowledge and what I call spiritual enlightenment. What do I mean by this? So, I would say self-knowledge it, what, what do you learn on marathons, right? They often talk about this. When people are doing training in marathons, they, they grow an awareness of their weakness, but they also grow an awareness of their ability to endure. There's this self-knowledge piece that you learn through trial, through suffering. This, we often learn this through sports or learning instruments, whatever it might be. The hours of discipline, we learn new things about ourselves because we spend that time in solitude. So we want to have this self-knowledge and then what I call spiritual enlightenment, I'm going to come back to this a little bit later, is also, it's not all about experience. We have to be filling our minds with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine needs to, and it's not just we need to learn it once and be done with it. it actually, we need to ruminate on it, that it becomes a part of who we are. So that the word of God, sound doctrine, sound theology, becomes a part of our very fabric, where it wells up within us. The word of God is on our tongue. The all of that is, is, is a part of our, what we fill our minds with. And Patrick's going to talk about this a little bit more when it comes to like media consumption and things like that. So getting into this, starting off with self-knowledge. The Desert Fathers once, they were doing a conference, and a bunch of them were talking. And they were asking, what is the greatest gift, what is the most important thing for a monk? 
And some said the ability to endure fasts. Others said a knowledge of the scriptures. But one of the fathers said one of the keys to being a good monk, and I would say this is one of the keys in all aspects of our lives, is what he said, he called it discrimination, but what I would call discernment. That is, we all have an interior dialogue of thoughts, feelings, and desires. So we have thoughts, feelings, desires. Like imagine like a conveyor belt. All those thoughts, those feelings, and desires are just constantly a constant narration. What we want to learn is, imagine it being color-coded, where blue is the Holy Spirit, red is the enemy, and then there's just like white, which is just, you know, your random, hey, I wonder what's for lunch kind of thing. Like nothing, nothing too crazy, but just your, your, your everyday thoughts. And what the Desert Fathers got at and St. Ignatius got at is what we want to learn to do throughout our day, and then we learn this in silence, is what's the Holy Spirit, what's the enemy, and what is just our nature. But really, we're going to focus on what's the Holy Spirit and what's the enemy. Just trying to discern that on a regular basis. So a lot of times what we have is we have a lot of thought traps. We have a lot of negative ruminations. And we need to work against these and overcome them. So this also involves emotional intelligence. Learning to connect with what's going on inside. This is what I think one of the most key first steps in the spiritual life is when we learn to spend time in silence and learn to look within and see what's going on. So I have a good story from soccer. I don't know, how many of you guys, imagine with the sports or the instruments, have you ever had that moment when you're in like the flow and you're in the zone and just everything is clicking and everything's going right? Have you guys had that experience before with, with your field or something where it's just like, man, I just rocked that. Well, I had this one experience with soccer where it was crazy. I was playing and I just had this intuition. The ball was coming out overhead. I decided that when the ball would come down, as it hit the ground, I decided this all in a split second. I did a step over like that. I stepped over the ball, and then I hit the ball with my heel around the guy that was to my side. I don't know why, why I thought of that or where I came up with that. And I did that momentarily, instinctually. I did that. I had that creativity, hit it, and then the guy was so confused because he didn't know where the ball went that he, like, turned around, and then I was behind him with the ball. It was, like, it was one of the, my greatest moments. I was like, man, I wish I'd gotten that on video. I was like... I just, I just totally did up this guy. But that really gets at how, does, how do we understand decision-making and discernment. So discernment and decision-making is, is all part of that process. And so I think we all recognize to be able to do that skill, I had to have practiced. But ironically, think about this. I didn't never practice that move before. Never had thought of it before. Never practiced it before. It was completely creative. It was completely unique to that situation. And that's often a lot of our decisions, a lot of things that we're called to do, are unique to the individual circumstances. So how did that skill progress? They often talk about three ages of the spiritual life. A beginning stage, the purgative. A middle stage, the illuminative. And then finally, a unitive stage where we're united with Christ. So think of it with the sports or with musical instruments or whatever it might be. There's a beginning stage where you're just doing the basics, where you don't quite have the skills. Then you start to acquire skills, but the height of, of the creativity with a musical instrument or with sports is the creativity where you make something new, where you're able to synthesize things in new ways. And it's a similar thing with the spiritual life. 
You have to establish the discipline in the first age. You have to practice. Then you have to be illuminated, the illuminative way. You have to meditate on scripture. But then you start to connect the dots. I'm not saying you're going to be some lofty theologian, but you'll start to connect the dots and you'll start to, and that's what we're working for. So if right now you're at the beginning stage, that's okay, that's fine. If you're at the middle, middle stage where you're growing a little bit of insight, or if you're at the highest, whatever it might be, just constantly striving like an athlete would. And think of it like with an athlete, you have to be constantly practicing. It's not like Michael Jordan, you know, five, you know, a week after he won the championship, what, was, what did he have to do? He had to be back in the gym again to stay in shape, right? It's, it's ongoing, it's continuous. So within that context, there's kind of two broad categories of decisions that we have to make on a regular basis. And this is where self-knowledge is so important. There's what I call golf decisions, and then I call baseball decisions. So baseball decisions are split-second decisions, right? We have to make decisions split-second. Golf decisions, we line up the shot, we look at it, we think about it, we select our club, and then we swing, right? The golf decisions are your major life decisions like marriage or vocation, priesthood. By the way, I'm going to preach on this this weekend. I didn't plan on talking about this, but I'm going to say it briefly. This weekend I'm going to be talking about if you're single and unmarried, you should be considering priesthood. I hope I didn't put you on the spot. You should be considering priesthood. Um, I don't know who that applies to in the room yet, but I will, I, I'm not going to grill you on it. But really, you really should consider that. And I, I think I'm going to talk about this weekend. St. Paul gives some really good examples. He says, if you're not burning with lust and, and you're able to be celibate and chaste, that you really should consider priesthood. So that the major life decisions, golf decisions, baseball decisions are those split-second ones. So, with spiritual practice, we learn to look within, and we learn to spend time. And you know, the thing is, is here's the thing. It's not like it's crazy. We have to be crazy creative. See, the funny thing is, when we learn to spend time, the Word of God just captivates our heart. Something will grab us that maybe we've heard a thousand times, but it'll strike us in a new way. I'll never forget, I did this one holy hour where I was praying. I was like, you know, I have the greatest idea in the world. This idea is so beautiful. I was like, I, I don't know why I've never thought of it before. And it just struck me as I was meditating on this idea over and over again for like a half hour. And it was at St. Charles. And finally, I was like, you know, this idea is so good that I got to write it down. I said, you know, God, the, word, the phrase that you're giving me, all I have to do is love other people the way you have loved me first. So love one another as I have loved you. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's actually pretty common. I mean, I've heard it thousands of times. See, that's the difference is it's not just about hearing it and understanding it. It's that when it seeps into your soul, and so it becomes like yours, you appropriate it. It strikes you in a new way. It convicts your heart. So that happens a lot in solitude. Also, you, you, I mean, you grapple with demons. You grapple with struggles. There's all kinds of different things you do. One of the examples of a, a prayer period I had where I was, uh, I call it my Good Friday meditation, where I was, I, was, I was struggling with some people who had really pissed me off. And when you understand anger, and you understand hatred, and you really understand your heart, you start to realize we all have, at times, hatred in our heart. We have anger. And 
on this particular Good Friday, for me, Good Friday is always like one of the best days and one of the worst days because it's always the toughest fast day. There's something about Good Friday that like you just, you, I mean, I can't in good conscience eat or drink. Like, and you don't want to make yourself feel better on Good Friday because it's Good Friday, right? And so I always have the stations at noon and then you have the 3 p.m. Um, veneration of the cross. And between that 12 and 3, it's always just like whatever I'm experiencing that year, whatever negativity, man, it comes up right to the surface. And there I am dealing with it. So I was dealing with the fact that two people in my life had really done me wrong. They had tried to, they had tried to kind of ruin my career in a certain sense. I don't want to get into all of it. But I was really angry at them. And I had nowhere to hide. I, I, I had to recognize that I was really angry at them. And I was sitting there in silence and praying. And I, I often talk about this when I give this as a, a thought experiment for people who are, are dealing with anger and hatred. That as I was praying with it, I couldn't find any relief. I kept trying to push it away. And I know we've all experienced that. We're just trying to push something away. I'm like, I don't want to think about this. I was even using some of my, the techniques I know were like breathing, and I'm going to talk about that later. I'd be, I was using breathing techniques. I was just like, I just need to let this go. I need to release it. And then finally I had the idea because I couldn't get rid of it. I said, I want to imagine them in hell. Like that's how I feel right now. That's really dark, right? That's really dark. And so I imagined them in hell, burning in hell. And I felt good. I felt like awesome. And I was like, holy cow, I really hate these people. I want to see them burn in hell. And then I realized, I started to meditate. I was like, if I give in to this, if I, like, if, I, if I don't let go of this, if this isn't redeemed, this will put me in hell with them. So then I came to, this is my creativity. I imagined a scene from Dante, Dante's Inferno, where the guy's seeking revenge and one guy's gnawing on the head of another. I don't know if you've ever seen that, um, that, 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 that image, but it's in Dante's Inferno. So I was like, this is what I feel like right now. I would put myself in hell with them because of my hatred. It would tie me with them, and I would, just, I, I, I would delight in seeing their punishment. And so as I was meditating on that, then I experienced freedom. And then after that, I was able to pray for their salvation, and I was able to love them again. And, and I think that's a process that happens a lot of times in adoration, in, in, in prayer, and, and with forgiveness, and with other things. There's a beginning where we're struggling, we're grappling, a kind of purging, where everything surfaces, all that negativity. Then there's kind of an illumination. There's a way out. In fact, St. Paul says, with every trial, the Lord gives us a way out. So when we're in the midst of a trial, the Lord wants to teach us something, and he wants to give us a way out. And then finally, there's a kind of resting. As he illuminates our hearts and gives us the way out, finally we rest, and we're able to love again. We're able to, to return to normal. So that's the spiritual practice. Those are just some examples of prayer, meditation that I've had for my own life. Spending time in adoration every day. For our folks in Washington and for local areas, we have our adoration chapel, and we have access to the church 24-7. We can get that pretty easily. Wherever you are, try to find, establish a prayer routine. Establish time to think, to reflect. And maybe consider, instead of at night, when you're watching television, maybe consider do some journaling or do some good reading, whatever it might be. Look at those habits. So the next thing. Spiritual enlightenment. I'm always struck by 
how, how oftentimes people don't have ordered thinking. This has been one of the great poverties of the past 50, 60 years, or maybe even 100 years, is we've gotten away from classical thought. And, and our ability to have ordered thinking has been a little bit hampered. And what do I mean by this is that there's basic structures, there's basic frameworks to ideas, to concepts. And one of the things I think is incredibly important is to learn to recognize the patterns in scripture, the patterns in truth and philosophy and science, that then illuminate the patterns within. This is the beauty of stories. Now, I'm not saying that you have to analyze it in a, a dramatic way, but this is why stories are so important. In fact, if you're familiar with Star Wars, so I don't know if you guys know about how they formed Star Wars, but the, when George Lucas was creating Star Wars, he was friends with a guy named Joseph Campbell. Who Joseph Campbell was connected with, he was a, a Jungian psychologist, he was big into Carl Jung. And what Joseph Campbell argued was that we needed to create a new mythology to replace the old mythology, particularly Christianity. But what he recognized, and what Carl Jung recognized, is that these stories have a kind of pattern to them. And the more we meditate on those patterns, we internalize it. And so George Lucas, when he was creating Star Wars, he created a new pattern, or he, but he established it based on old patterns, right? So there's the idea of the Messiah. There's the idea of salvation. There's the idea of being set free of, of the force, of, of you know, and, you know, divine energy, however you want to call it. These are basic concepts. So what does this mean for us, though? What we need to learn to do, I, 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 had, this, I had this insight when I was doing spiritual direction with somebody, is a good part of our life, we can get so stuck on our everyday decisions. That is, we can get so just tied to this world. You know, I got my family, I got my job, I got my career. We never take time. I want you to imagine, there's your circumstances, there's this world, but then there's the forms of things. There's the higher realities. There's the last things. There's the, the deeper realities. And when we're chained to this world, and to the particulars, we never take time to meditate on the big questions. What is truth? What is life? Why am I here? But also, who is God? How do I know truth? Whatever it is, and I'm not saying that we have to master philosophy and theology, but that's part of what we need to do. We need to take time to sit back and wonder and to look upon the whole big picture and try to understand our place in the universe and understand the bigger picture. I, I, I've been struck by this. One of the things that a lot of scholars talk about is that um, one of the challenges for cultures when there's a lot of war, when there's a lot of conflict, is that people get trapped in this world. That is, their focus is on just the immediate. So the, the classic example that psychologists talk about is if you're so worried about feeding yourself and providing for your family, you have a hard time asking the deeper questions of life or reading a book or things like that, right? So the one thing we got to recognize is we need to live our life in an orderly way and give opportunity for the big questions. Um, so finally, this is getting at the two aspects of meditation. And we're going to do a guided meditation. We're going to take a five-minute break, and we're going to do a guided meditation. Is gaining self-knowledge on one hand, and then also being illuminated by truth on the other. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, after this, we're going to walk through a guided meditation, 
I'm going to walk you through. It's going to be broken up into three parts. It'll be 10 minutes each. The first part is I want to introduce you to some like body breathing techniques that can really calm you down. So I'm going to do that for about 10 minutes, and I'll walk you through some of those breathing exercises. Then for the last 20, I want to do a meditation on last things. I want us to consider death. I want us to consider the last things, heaven and hell, and kind of use that as a springboard. And then we'll, we'll take a brief break, and then we'll have, after that, one thing I want you guys to do, we're going to do one-on-ones. If you could sign up for the one-on-ones on the, at the table, I, I did a sheet, um, and we'll start those at 11, that we'll do one-on-ones, and then um, Patrick Ginty will be given two talks, um, one at 11, and then one after lunch. So let's, let's close in prayer, and then we'll take a brief break before the meditation. May the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask that we may establish the disciplines necessary for our flourishing, that we may know your love and move with the promptings of your grace. We ask you to guide us in all things. Help us to know your love and to discern the work of the Holy Spirit. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Let's take a brief break and then we'll get back for the meditation.